Welcome to a University of Bath IPR policy podcast. Good, good evening, everybody. Um, w welcome to this uh, Institute for Policy Research lecture. I'm um, Nick Pierce, the director of the Institute uh, for Policy Research. Um, this evening, uh, we are here to, uh, to discuss and debate how to stop bad dri data driving out the good in an age of misuse, misleadingness, and misinformation. This is an age where um, we are communicated to by the highest sources of executive power in the Oval Office in 10 Downing Street through Twitter and WhatsApp messages. Um, we live in a world in which uh, data proliferates um, and in which much of what we read we feel that we can no longer trust, much of what we read we don't want to trust. Um, and in these circumstances, democratic decision-making becomes more difficult. Um, the ability to recognize sources of expertise, to be able to um, hold a dialogue between different positions based on recognized facts, uh, become much more problematic. So the role of those entrusted in our society with regulating statistics, with regulating at least some of the data that we encounter, produced by government agencies, by public bodies and others, becomes a, a really important one. And so for there, we are therefore delighted that to speak to us this evening, we, had, we have Ed Humpherson, whose job it is, is to regulate uh, the use of statistics in government. He is the Director General for, the, for Regulation in the UK Statistics Authority, which is our regulatory body in the UK uh, for the use of um, statistics. So this is a, a really uh, demanding and challenging job at a time when some of the issues that we face in understanding using data, using statistics uh, in, our, in our democratic societies becomes uh, uh, incredibly hard. So. We're very pleased to welcome you here this evening, Ed. We're really interested to hear what you have to say, uh, and we'll have an opportunity for a full debate after we've listened to you speak. Thanks very much indeed. A couple of years ago, I was uh, going uh, on a tube journey in London to a meeting with Universities UK. Universities UK are the representative body for universities and they wanted to meet me because they had a, a beef about uh, student migration statistics, statistics on how many students were migrating for the purposes of study to the UK from uh, other countries in the world. They thought the statistics were rubbish and they wanted me as the regulator of statistics to do something about it. And as uh, as is often the case with me, I was reading at the last minute before the meeting some relevant information from their website to kind of brief myself up on what we're going to talk about. So here I was on the tube reading this long report they'd written on student migration. I don't know if you know the geography of the London Underground. I was on the Victoria Line going to Euston. I was traveling from Vauxhall, a uh, very crowded tube. Uh, at Oxford Circus, which is about halfway along that journey, I became aware, even though it was a crowded tube, of a, uh, of a woman uh, standing next to me who was hurriedly opening up her bag, getting out a pen and a piece of paper, and starting to write on it. And I, I didn't really pay it very much attention. You kind of see this all the time. Maybe she, I thought she'd forgotten something she needed to do at work. Maybe she was writing a hurried birthday card. So I went back to reading my report on student migration. At the next station, 
Warren Street, uh, she got off, picked up her bag and got off. But before she did so, she turned to me and she said, I just have to give you this. And she gave me the piece of paper she'd been writing on. Now, I'm going to come back to what she wrote later uh, in this talk. But can I just say that that's really not a normal occurrence, uh, at, least, at least not for me. Uh, it's not something which normally happens, happens to me. So thank you very much, uh, Nick, for, uh, for the invitation. And thank you to uh, all of you for, for, for coming here. And thank you also so for the three academics who uh, I met uh, earlier today to talk about various aspects of, of the role of information in society. Sam, who's here, is Yulia here? Yeah, uh, and is Neil here? I don't think Neil is here. Well, let me say, any of you ever do this, come uh, into an academic environment as a non-academic to give a lecture, um, don't ever say, I'd really like to meet the ac academics who are expert in the subject uh, about two hours before we do the lecture, because there's nothing which is going to hammer your confidence more than realizing that you know about that much and they know about this much. So with apologies to the three of you for, for the kind of terrible, um, outrageously ill-informed things I'm about to say, let me proceed. So this talk is about um, uh, thinking about living in a world where bad data could drive out good data. Uh, and I want to argue that whilst that's a real risk, uh, while uh, we can see this happening all around us, I think the risk is overstated uh, and I think it can be combated. I don't think bad data do need to drive out the good data. So let me begin uh, with um, a couple of uh, key concepts. The first is that when I talk about statistics, I'm thinking about statistics produced by government as a public asset. Um, they're a public asset because they frame uh, people's understanding of the world. Um, how many people there are in the country, uh, the, uh, the size of the economy, the rate of inflation, uh, the health of the population, the rate of crime, and many other things. And those things, those things which help us understand the world, then in turn form a starting point for debate, uh, for political debate, but also people making uh, debates in their head about their personal choices. And I always think it's a mistake when people think that statistics like uh, on the economy or on housing prices or on uh, waiting times in hospitals, that those are just for kind of decision makers at the centre of government. They are for those people, but I think they're also uh, much more widely useful for, for, for individuals uh, community groups, charities, trade unions, much wider range of actors in society. And because statistics serve all of those communities, all of those groups, uh, we think of them as being a public asset. The second concept, which is going to run through this talk, is very important, which is for every single statistic that you ever hear, there is a producer who is responsible for that statistic. I think that's a really important uh, habit of mind to get into, that the numbers have been produced and created by uh, an individual or an organization um, for a, a purpose. Um, the producers I'm interested in are government departments, uh, the Department for Health, uh, the Office for National Statistics, uh, the Treasury, the Scottish Government, the Department for Education. Uh, but of course, numbers are much more prominent in, in other walks of life, and every number you hear has a producer. So I'm going to talk about producers, 
And when I talk about producers, I'm not just thinking about the, uh, the statisticians, um, the number crunchers. I'm thinking about the people who lead the organizations, the communications professionals, uh, thinking a lot about politicians, the politicians who use uh, what their departments create. That's what I mean by producers, the people who are responsible for the numbers that you hear. And the third um, concept which runs through is the concept of a, of a regulator. Uh, and uh, that's me. Um, I'm the head of the, the uh, regulatory authority for statistics in the UK. Now, I'm not going to say a lot about this because this isn't a really a promotional uh, lecture. I'm not looking to sell to you how important we are or how great we are. If you want to have the promotional uh, version, we have a conference in early November, which is going to be unashamedly a showcase of how great we are. So do, do let me know afterwards. I'll, I'll get you an invite to that. Uh, just to say very briefly, what we do is we set um, standards that government must comply with when they publish statistics, and we enforce those standards not just for how numbers are compiled and collected and uh, uh, presented, but also how they're used. Uh, and it's the use which I think is, is the most interesting part of this. So why do people think that there are threats? Uh, Nick referred to the threats right at the beginning. Uh, what, what's going on here? Well, I think it goes back to Thomas Gresham. Uh, who was, uh, as I'm sure all of you will know, uh, a, a banker um, in the Tudor times, banker to Elizabeth I, um, the, the, the Queen of England, a uh, very rich man, um, and he uh, is known for his uh, thinking on uh, coinage. Uh, and his thinking on coinage, uh, based on a really, really um, acute observation he made, which is that lots of governments in those days used to pay their armies with coins. Uh, and uh, there's like a finite supply of coins, particularly in an era where coins had their face value. A gold coin was made of gold. A silver coin was made of silver. Um, and that means they're quite expensive to make, right? And, and governments hit upon this really clever ruse, which was if you could just kind of debase the coin, if you could just kind of put in a little bit of alloy, cheaper stuff, just a little bit, be much cheaper to make the coins, you can make more of them, and then you could pay for more armies. And that worked brilliantly until the armies, the soldiers, the people receiving the coins, figured out that they were getting a coin which was worth less, that the coin had de been debased. And as soon as that happened, as soon as people twigged that they were being, uh, uh, in effect, lied to, um, what they would do is instead of continuing to use the less valuable coin is that they would withdraw from it altogether. Uh, they would stop using that coinage because they'd not know what to trust. They'd not know what was good or bad. Um, but for that reason, they'd go and start using other, uh, other currencies, which they would, would rely on. Um, and Thomas Gresham identified this and said, it's a really bad idea to debase your coinage because it leads people to stop using it altogether. That the bad money drives out the good. Um, so that's the phrase, the bad money drives out the good. Although I should say, as somebody who spends my professional life berating people for not being clear about their sources, I have to add this, um, which is that um, Thomas Gresham never actually said that. This was something that a Victorian economist about 300 years later put into Thomas Gresham's mouth, but he never actually said anything like it. And I kind of like the irony of, of somebody who's famous for a law about counterfeiting, his most famous quote being itself counterfeit. I think there's a certain kind of circularity to that. Um, so why is that relevant here? Well, Gresham's law 
um, which is that the bad money drives out the good, is seen to be a metaphor for any situation in which um, the, uh, the public um, lose confidence in the reliability, uh, the trustworthiness of something that they're being offered. And when they lose confidence, they uh, cash in their chips, they withdraw, they, 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 they no longer know what to trust. The analogy applies to lots of situations. It can apply, and people use it to apply it, to the world of information in our contemporary society. The argument goes like this, that people are so bombarded with information from all sources, uh, some of which they know to be false, they've heard fake news, uh, they've heard of misinformation, that they no longer feel they have the ability to sift the useful from the useless. And therefore what they do is say, well, I'm cashing in my chips. I no longer know what to trust, what to believe in. I think it's all made up. I'm being served up uh, a whole kind of, um, uh, you know, uh, architecture of, 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 of falsehoods. Um, that's what people are worried about. So is there any evidence that this is happening? Well, uh, I don't think you need to go very far to find people being concerned about exactly this phenomenon. Um, think about situations in British political life where there may have been some sense of statistics being used in a way that isn't entirely appropriate, uh, maybe a misleading use of statistics. Now, I was hearing earlier from, uh, from Sam Johnson about extrasensory perception and research into ex extrasensory perception. That is one of my gifts, and I actually am a mind reader, and I know that about 85% of you right now are thinking of a bus. As soon as I say misinformation in public life, you're thinking of a bus. I don't know what the other 15% uh, of you are thinking. I'm not that skilled, but 85% of you immediately have an image of a bus in your mind. I'm not going to say much about the bus, but I think it's a very good um, jumping off point for a debate about are we in an environment where people are starting to lose their confidence in statistics? And I think it's not just in Brexit debates. Um, I uh, have a book at home called Great Speeches of the 20th Century. Fantastic book. It's got all your favorites in it. I Have a Dream. Uh, it's got um, This Is Our Finest Hour. It's got Ask Not What Your Country Can Do For You. It's got all those fantastic uh, speeches. And if you look through them, there's not a number in them. There's not a kind of a, a, a quantified claim that a fact checker would recognize as something they could go and fact check. Um, by contrast, if you look at any speech made by any contemporary politician, it's an absolute bombing of numbers. It's a bombardment of numbers. If you uh, look at the conference speeches made by, by, by the party leaders recently, they illustrate all of their points using numbers um, not clear what the provenance of the numbers is, but they like to feel as though it lends some credibility to them to kind of use numbers. And this is sort of what's creating, I think, a sense that we're just, we don't know where, where this is all coming from. This is a debasing by this kind of overuse. And it, it got me to think that what a great speech of the 20th century would be like um, if, uh, if, it was, uh, if it was said today. So uh, I don't know if you know the great um, Churchill speech. Um, Fighting on, the, fighting on the beaches speech. I think if he did it today, it would go something like this. I can, can today announce we will fight on the beaches 17.3% of the time. We'll fight on the landing grounds 26.2% of the time. In the fields, 34.8% of the time. And thanks to my government's long-term plan, 
I can today announce we will fight in the streets for a further 21.8% of the time. Probably accompanied by, by a, by a, by a visualisation, because people love, they love their visualisations, probably by a visualisation which doesn't really tell you anything. Um, I should say, as a man who's keen on provenance, that's really, that's not an actual, Churchill never actually used that, 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 that visualisation. Um, I think there's also, so there's a bombardment of numbers, and I think that's creating this debasing. De 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 I also think there's, there's a series of threats to public reason. This is Anora O'Neill, the great uh, uh, political um, philosopher, and uh, she's recently been talking about uh, threats to public reason from um, digital communication. And the point that she makes is that uh, in this age of abundant communication technologies, um, communication technologies or information communication technologies are often used not to communicate and not to inform, uh, but to nudge, to grab attention, to manipulate. And one of the things that she thinks is going on there, which I think is a really acute observation, is that we spend a lot of time thinking about what it means for something to be public than what it means to be ethical or reasonable. So we talk about uh, privacy. Uh, we talk about um, uh, freedom of expression. We talk about freedom of, of, of the media and things like that, sort of institutional frameworks for making sure that the public uh, the publicness of things is well understood. But we don't really spend any time talking about, well, what is, what is ethical communication? Uh, she says things like veracity and integrity uh, and honesty in communication are seen as some somehow quaint, old-fashioned ideas. And she thinks that we've lost something in, in, in thinking in, that, in experiencing this uh, feature of uh, information and communication technologies. And uh, you even see this in people who, who, who standing out against it. So people who talk about misinformation, worry about misinformation, spend a lot of time worrying about misinformation and what it means to misinform. They don't spend very much time saying what it means to inform what good looks like. Really good example, um, look at a recent report from the Culture and Media Select Committee in the House of Commons on misinformation. Lots and lots of pages about what we should do about misinformation not a great deal on what misinformation is and nothing on what good information is. And I think if we exist in that world, we're likely to feel as though our currency is constantly being debased. So I think there are good reasons why people are worried about uh, bad data. And I think um, we, we uh, need to recognize them. The world I'm responsible for um, is also responsible for for some of this um, bad data. So it's not just that good statistics are, are produced by government and then they sort of go out into a world where there's lots of kind of casual misinformation. Uh, quite often government misinforms with statistics directly itself. And I have, I have three examples of, of this. Um, there could be many more. So the first example um, is a... Uh, this is a tweet from the Department for Education. There is more money going into our schools than ever before. Uh, and it's got lots and lots of uh, problems with it. Lots of reasons why that's not a very good piece of information. Has anybody, uh, very bright audience this evening, anybody got any ideas what's wrong um, with that? 
Very good. That's the most egregious thing. Sorry. Was, Funding per pupil's gone down, it's not in per pupil terms. There's one other problem with it, which, uh, cash not real. So three immediate problems. Um, it's cash not real, it's not in per pupil terms, so you don't know, you know whether the number of children being educated for this amount of money is right. But the most egregious thing uh, is that it's um, uh, starting at 36 billion, uh, not at naught. I've given this lecture before, but no audience has ever got it so quickly, so, so well done for that. I should say, of course, I've been very clear on my provenance, where I'm getting all of this stuff from. This is an actual tweet. This is not one that I've made up. They actually did tweet this. Um, just correcting one of those mistakes, this is what my team did. We put the access down to naught, and you see that whilst there is a very small increase, it's nowhere near as dramatic as that. And then correcting for the others, for the per pupil calculation and for um, the real terms, means that actually there's a slight drop. Um, really, really egregiously misleading. What this speaks to is a culture of communication by the department which says, we just wanted a big number. Get us a big number, uh, as big a number as we can. Uh, the next example is a press release by DEFRA, uh, which has this, had this fact in it. 8.5 billion plastic straws are thrown away each year in the UK. It's what we call a naked number. It has absolutely nothing to clothe it. It has no source, no explanation, uh, nothing to help you get a sense of where that number comes from. It was just thrown in. Now, when a number is naked and you have no source or no context, you're driven back to your intuition. Like, does that, does that seem like a big number or a small number? Does that seem plausible or not? Uh, as it turns out, um, I don't think it is a very plausible number because we looked into this and it was taken from a report by some consultants who, uh, whose methodology was to find out how many straws McDonald's they issue on a given day, multiply that by a year, and then multiply it by the proportion of total food market represented by McDonald's to gross it up to the, to the total, total number. I, I don't know if that's maybe the most reliable way. But the point is, I shouldn't even have to sort of do all that digging. It should be clear at the outset where this number comes from. A naked number, very, very poor way of communicating. And then the third example is if you wanted to find out how many people were homeless in England and you went to the Ministry of Housing's uh, website, you might find this sort of graph which is, uh, you know, a statistic about people in homelessness prevention and relief. And then you find this graph, which is in people in this thing called statutory homelessness. And then you find this graph, which is uh, a count of rough sleepers. You find these three things, kind of no explanation as to how they interrelate, whether they're the same people bouncing around these different categories, whether they're completely different. You'd be completely lost. The numbers wouldn't be so much naked, as existing in silos, completely separate from one another, uh, and, and no guidance to you as a member of the public to understand the phenomenon of homelessness in, in the round. Very, very poor communication with statistics. So my, my case is that it's not just that we live in a society where there's casual misinformation, but really, really good statistics. Sometimes the statistics can be uh, not very good. But sometimes the producers, those producers of statistics do get it right. I've got three um, great examples. The first is life expectancy. So life expectancy is how much, um, uh, how long uh, uh, a baby born today can expect to live if 
she experiences the mortality rates um, in the general society at that time. Since 1971, life expectancy in the UK has been increasing uh, at the rate of about six months uh, a year. It's been going up and up and up until about 2013 when it's stalled. Progress in increasing life expectancy has stalled. And in fact, uh, there is some parts of the country where it looks like it's going backwards, that life expectancy is, is lower than, 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 than it was. Now, those are just numbers. Uh, the key point to, to getting to them is to understand what sits behind them. The um, uh, Public Health England have done this fantastic uh, um, tool to get behind the numbers. This is um, figures for Liverpool, where they um, have identified what is explaining the gap in life expectancy in Liverpool uh, between uh, Liverpool and the England average. And you can see it's these different range of causes. And it's got real practical application because in the other category, the bottom yellow one, um, there's, if you pick into that, there's actually quite a lot of accidental poisonings, drug, drug deaths, drug, misadventure with drugs. And that has led that area to do quite a lot of work to um, think about how to help people uh, in, in those situations. It's a great example of not just presenting numbers nakedly or without context, or in a misleading way, but presenting numbers to help drive people to understand a problem. Uh, that's not the only example. Uh, in the productivity uh, debate, the ONS has done some amazing work to identify why it is that UK firms are not as productive, or not increasing their productivity as they were. I won't go into the details, but they've done some tremendous kind of disaggregated work. Again, going behind the number, to understand what's driving it. And there's this lovely uh, website called Ethnicity Facts and Figures, which pools um, everything that uh, government holds um, about public services and the distribution by different ethnicities of experience for things like employment, um, health, housing, uh, criminal justice. Uh, and it's a fantastic website. Again, it's not just presenting individual numbers, it's presenting them in their context. And these are all really good examples of statistics that are doing their job to help people understand the world, not just presenting them with big numbers to, uh, to, to, to try and persuade them. So what am I drawing from, from my examples of really terrible use of statistics and really good use of statistics? Well, it's, it's this, that if we want people to be confident in the numbers, we shouldn't just present big numbers like there's more money going into schools than ever before, or 8.5 billion straws. That's to treat the public with disrespect, and I think not a helpful way of, um, of communicating. What we need to do is present uh, clear, disaggregated stories that relate things um, closely together to, uh, to what's driving them. And I should say um, that, um, that, that in the examples that I gave of, of of, of bad in all three cases, in the straws, in the schools, um, uh, and in the ha homelessness, uh, we stepped in and you know did what regulators do and made a fuss about it. And in all three cases, there's been some really significant improvement um, by the departments. The Department for Education no longer puts out tweets as egregiously bad as that. Uh, the, DEFRA now has a rule that it will never use a naked number in its press releases, so its chief statistician has to sign off the press releases. Uh, and only a couple of weeks ago, um, 
the Ministry of Housing published a blog which brought all its data sources together to give a rounded picture of homelessness in England compared to Wales, Scotland and Northern Ireland. So it's a real progress. And what they're um, really getting to is that statistics are, are not only not just a technocratic exercise of adding up some numbers and then you know, putting them out into the world, and they're never just a number. A bit like a coin, a coin which is debased, a coin is not just a piece of metal, but it's a sort of socially constructed piece of value. So it is with statistics. They're about helping users understand the world. And if you want to help users understand the world, you can't just present them with numbers. You need to present them with explanation, context, disaggregation, um, and understanding. So that's, that's how we think about uh, statistics, is they're not just a number, they need to have this much broader sense of how they relate to the world and to lived experience. And although um, we're a very small organization, we've created a framework which we call trustworthiness, quality and value. Uh, and it's that framework that uh, I think is really fundamental to making progress on this. It's got three pillars. The first of which is trustworthiness. So this is what we look for, whether it's DEFRA or the Scottish government or, or any other producer. We start by looking for trustworthiness. And uh, again, actually, this is from the same philosopher, Anora O'Neill. Uh, trustworthiness is about providing usable evidence uh, that allows others to check whether you are trustworthy. And the key point here is that you can't just expect to be trusted. You can't just say, I want you to trust me. You have to provide people with reasons or evidence to demonstrate that you are worthy of trust. And in the context of statistics, that is demonstrating that the statistics are produced free from political interest. And you can make specific commitments, and we require these commitments. For example, uh, we expect any government department to announce um, at least uh, a month in advance the day on which it's going to publish its statistics. Uh, at 9.30, and to not shift that time around. Now, any of you who spent any time in government know it's the trade of government to pick its news, news cycle moment to make announcements. Uh, so the fact that we require and force government departments to pick a day a month in advance takes away that driver to politically communicate uh, at, at, uh, or to bury bad news. Uh, they have to publish on the day they say, otherwise they're in breach. Uh, of, our, of our code of practice, and they do stick to it. In fact, most of the breach reports I receive are when they miss by two minutes. Uh, that's how seriously it's, it's taken. And the whole series of other commitments, which are designed to show we'll make a commitment and then we'll be tested about, about it. It's trustworthiness. The second pillar is, is quality, and it goes to the heart of many of the things I've been talking about, which uh, 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 that um, quality is not just about accuracy, it's not whether the number is sort of right, um, it's about whether it's a, a, a good estimate of what it's trying to measure and whether it's materially misleading or not. And that's what we, what we look for. We're very influenced by a very brilliant statistician some of you will have heard of called David Spiegelhalter, he's just written a great book about statistics. Um, and his view is that statisticians need to be willing to say their numbers are estimates, they're not like precise, uh, uh, and unquestioned um, reflections of reality, but their estimates, and they need to communicate that and communicate uh, their confidence about that. So that's what we look for under quality. 
and under value, uh, and in some ways this is, this is the most uh, important, which is that statistics, you can be trustworthy and high quality about something that isn't very useful for people. You know, they, you, could, you could produce very trustworthy statistics published exactly on the day you said you're going to publish them uh, with a very, very plausible estimate, not materially misleading, of how many paper clips there are on people's desks in government departments but that wouldn't be a very valuable statistic. There wouldn't be a user question that that would be addressing. Um, so we look for value as well. We, need, we want to understand what is the question that these statistics help to answer and how is the government department helping people answer it? The homelessness example is a, is a, is a, is a, is a classic one. People don't really want to know how many people there are in each of these three different categories of statutory homelessness, prevention, and rough sleeping. What they want to know is, how many people have the lived experience of being homeless? They want to know the integrated picture. That's what value um, seeks to, to, to address. So my conclusions uh, are um, quite optimistic, I think. Um, the first is that uh, the victory of bad data isn't inevitable, but what it depends on is the producers, the people who are responsible for communicating statistics, doing the right thing. Uh, and if they do the right thing, um, they won't uh, be in this game of debasing the currency by excessive use, use of single numbers, which sound big, or naked numbers. Uh, and the way that they do that is by focusing on trustworthiness, quality, and value. And what we really think, and I, I think that with a, a sort of an ecosystem of, of my organization, fact checkers, um, uh, 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 sort of responsible journalists, actually we can turn Gresham's law on its head and find that the good data, the good statistics, drive out the bad ones. Uh, and I think that's what we aim for, and I think it's eminently achievable by, by following these, 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 these conclusions. So let me close by going back to my tube journey. So the piece of paper that I was handed uh, on the tube I was going to this meeting about student migration, I was reading the report, uh, and I got handed this piece of paper, and it, it, it wasn't rude, uh, it, it, it wasn't that personal. Uh, it said this, and I'm gonna read it, because I've still got it, and it's uh, in, 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 the, in the woman's handwriting. Do you know how the ONS study on students will be used? Are they trying to limit the number of international students? Why are they asking for this info right now? Sorry to be nosy, I'm just concerned. <laughs> uh, now, there's an answer to her question. She left, I couldn't give her an answer to the question. But the point is, here was someone, a member of the public, who was deeply concerned about statistics. Uh, she wanted to know whether the statistics were good, not bad. She wanted the good data to drive out the bad. And that's what I think we should all want to do. Thank you very much. <laughs>